If you've been with us during the series, Are You Growing?, we've been at the beginning of every week reciting and memorizing Colossians 2, 6, and 7 as a regular practice for us to be reminded of who we are as people called to continue growing into the people God created us to be. So let's go ahead and do that real quick here before we get into the text. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Let's go ahead and recite this together here. There we go. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's do it one more time. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. If you don't yet have the sermon outlines, uh, make sure those get across the row there. As you'll be reminded throughout this series, the big idea, the meta-narrative, that, that big thread that goes throughout, that ties it all together, is that growing, that our Christian growth as believers transforms our faith from a claim to a cause. Growth in godliness is that part of the, the process of becoming more like Christ, where we are transformed in a faith that is just a claim to something that is a cause for our lives. I feel passionate about this one topic, about growth, about growing. In fact, for us, we talk about the three C's. It's our second C, cultivating growth in relationship with God and with one another. We want to put together a place in our lives where growth is constantly being cultivated. And as long as I am the preacher here, our sermons, our programs, our growth groups, our Sunday school classes, our whole uh, curriculum for making disciples is going to be about pursuing growth in godliness. Too many churches and too many believers are enamored about making claims, but do little with their lives as a cause. Far too many churches, far too many individual believers, are so content with a spiritual status quo that the notion of personal spiritual growth and development in my heart to become more and more like Christ is hardly in their vocabulary. So we want to be a place that constantly holds up that goal for us to continue to strive to be who God made us to be. Last week, Tommy talked about diagnosing our spiritual health by asking the question, are you increasingly aware of the presence of God? And I listened to his sermon, and he did a great job. Uh, this week, we want to ask ourselves this self-diagnosis question. Are you increasingly concerned for the needs of others? Ask yourself that question for just a moment. With time in your life, are you increasingly concerned about the needs of other people? For anyone who's following Christ, this is an important question to help diagnose and assess where we are spiritually. 
Today's big idea is this. It's the next couple blanks, next blank on your uh, outline there. Growing believers, growing believers increasingly feel and act on the overwhelming burden of God's heart to meet the needs of others. Growing believers increasingly feel and act on the overwhelming burden of God's heart to meet the needs of other people. As we get into the text here in just a second, let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, we want to live lives that reflect your burden to selflessly serve the needs of other people. And so we ask that in our time together in your word, you would teach us, that you would use your spirit to convict us, that we would leave this place changed with a greater sense of our calling, Father, to meet the spiritual and physical needs of people who need to know you and need to know your grace. Help us, Lord, to be taught by your spirit as we open your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is, this is not a news flash for any of you. But life, life can often be very overwhelming. Life can often feel overwhelming and burdensome. Coming back from a week of Disney, it's a lot of fun. We had a great time. I, I wouldn't have traded it for the world. A whole week with my family was awesome. But when I come back and I stop for a second and I breathe and I look at my to-do list, I am overwhelmed. And I'm sure many of you feel that same way in your lives, whether it's work or your family, your marriage, managing all of the kinds of responsibilities you have. Let me just run down a few of my work things. I currently have 173 unfinished to-do items on my to-do list. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Of those 173, there is one that involves cleaning up my email inbox. And I'm so embarrassed to tell you how many I have in my email inbox that I'm not even going to tell you. But it's a lot. It has four digits to it. Let's just say that. This week alone... My schedule already includes 15 hours of meetings with people. And I know of about another three or four that I, that I need to schedule for this week. In church activities on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday night, I know of another 12 hours. And in most weeks, I usually spend a good 10 to 15 hours of administrative work, miscellaneous things, uh, doing things that just come up or are requested of me by others. Um, it could be anything from cleaning up something, phone calls at all hours of the day, writing a letter or a note or a phone call or visit uh, that somebody asked me to do. Um, we're up to a little more than about 40 hours right there. And, and that's not even sermon writing, staff evaluations for the elders, preparation for the elders meeting tomorrow, the annual report that is due today that I don't yet have done, the October newsletter blurb, that's due tomorrow that I've already gotten an email from our uh, secretary saying, don't forget this. I usually average something about 15 to 20 church-related phone calls 
uh, over seven days a week. I try to get to one visit per day, whether it's in the hospital or, or visiting somebody's house or work. Uh, at least a couple notes or emails or calls a day to volunteers, uh, to people not yet well connected in our community, uh, folks who are regular attenders, potential members. Um, I'm missing a few things here and there. You get the idea that for us as people in, in, in this setting on earth, this side of heaven, there are just responsibilities for all of us, just, just piling up on our lives. And it's not just work. It's, it's, it's everything. Don't, don't just hear this as a, a young 37-year-old complaining about work. I'm not, I'm not whining about my to-do list, believe me. Much of this overwhelming thing of the items we have to do, the responsibilities in our lives, is just part of life in a sinful world. And all of you, all of you can relate to that feeling of being overwhelmed. We haven't even begun to talk about managing your kids and your marriage, managing your waistline. I gave that one up a long time ago. Those of you who are retired and are not working anymore are every bit as busy as you ever were. You have to take care of grandkids. Some of you have to take care of parents. Some, take care, some of you have to continue parenting your old kids. For those of you who are single moms or, or functionally single moms, the to-do list never gets shorter. For those of you who are in full-time jobs while you're trying to manage going to school, while you're trying to manage your kids and, and your marriage, the burdens can seem overwhelming. And we add on top of our own personal burdens the idea that we live in a world where there are 27 wars going on. There's a long-term conflict in the Middle East that's not going to be fixed anytime soon. There's an AIDS crisis that is killing hundreds of thousands of people a year. Poverty and homelessness, not even in our country, but in the rest of the world. The more, the, the more than 15,000 children per day who die because of starvation add all those things on top of our personal burdens. And life begins to feel overwhelming. I don't know if you're like me. I, I assume you probably are. But don't you sometimes feel in life like you're trying to poke, trying to plug up holes in humongous Hoover Dam with your tiny little fingers. And each time you stick a finger in one hole, two more holes start to open up. You begin to feel like, Lord, I only have, I only have so many hands and fingers, but the burdens just keep coming and piling up. Here's the bad news. Following Christ doesn't make that sense of feeling overwhelming, of feeling overwhelmed go away. In fact, I think for the growing believer, if you're growing in godliness, the sense of the burden to meet the needs of others just continues to grow. 
And it is into that world of feeling overwhelmed and constantly burdened that Jesus walks in and he says, of all things, in verse 37 of Mark 6, into that world of burdens and overwhelming feelings, Jesus walks in and in verse 37 he says, you feed them. What? I mean, seriously, Jesus, here we are with five little round loaves of bread and two puny, salty sardines that are intended mostly to be a relish. And you want us to feed 15 to 20,000 plus people? Where's the part, Jesus, where you come in to my burdened life and you say something nice and warm and fuzzy, like you do in Matthew 11? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Where's the part where you do a miracle and poof, everything's peaceful, and the shalom of perfect relationship with you is restored? Huh? Where's that, Jesus? Because, because I didn't sign up for any more of this suffering junk. We hear ourselves feeling and saying things like, I don't think I'm equipped, Lord. I do not think that I'm equipped to handle one more person's burden. I can't even possibly manage my own things. Where am I supposed to get the reserves for handling yet another request on my time? and my money, and my energy. Where is that supposed to come from? Feeling overwhelmed yet? (laughs) Feeling overwhelmed by the needs of others is where we meet the disciples in verses 30 to 34. Feeling overwhelmed by the needs of others. Of others. This is something that Jesus' followers were feeling when they were running on empty here in these verses. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Sounds good. He had just sent those 12 apostles with his power and his authority on a special ministry assignment to the towns and the villages. And this was part of their training. That ministry assignment was part of their training to prepare them for the time when Jesus would ascend to heaven and give them the keys to the car. And so they've just returned from an effective and successful and enjoyable time of ministry for them. It's like coming home from Disney, where the kids just talk constantly for four hours to the grandparents. And then we saw this, and then we did that. And you wouldn't believe how cool it was. And we actually got to meet Mickey, and it just keeps going. His disciples were excited to see God's power at work in the lives of people to whom they were ministering. But they would soon begin to tire. They would start to see and experience the weight of the burden of ministry. But they didn't, they didn't know that they were signing up for. So while they're initially excited about their ministry, they're also exhausted from the experience. And they really badly need a rest. Verse 31 says that many were coming and going. And they had no leisure even to eat. You ever do that? You're so busy. 
You forget to eat? Some of us are like, no. <laughs> you crazy? They're so busy they forget to eat. The disciples didn't even have time to grab a bite of fast food with all the ministry teams and all the places, ministry needs and all the places that they were going. So in verse 32, it says, they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Jesus is trying to give them a retreat. Take your R&R. It's time to rest, guys. Jesus is giving them permission to go and to relax. But (laughs) the burdens, they just kept coming. Verse 33 says this, now many saw them going. That's the crowds of people. Many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. That is, these crowds of people ran ahead of the disciples. These disciples must have been experiencing something a little bit like the Vols last night. If you watch the football game. Things were awesome at first. This is like the first quarter and everything is going great. The score early in the UT game last night was UT 13, Oregon 3. The Vols are up by 10 points against the seven-ranked team in the nation. They must have been coming back into that huddle really excited, lots of high fives with each other, saying things to their coaches like, man, this is easy. These guys aren't that good. And then as, as time went on... Burdens kept coming, and the hits, and the missed tackles, and the lack of blocking. They began to realize that they were in way over their heads. By the end of the game, the Oregon Ducks scored 45 consecutive points to beat the Vols 48-13. It didn't exactly go as planned. Life for us doesn't always go as planned when the burdens keep coming and the resources of our time and our energy keep being depended on and our R&R is interrupted. So now these disciples, they begin to realize they're in over their heads. Their needs of the people, the needs of the people far outweighed the disciples' ability to meet them. We see here a principle about ministry and about meeting the needs of others. When we are growing, we will sometimes feel overwhelmed by the needs of others. And I think that's natural. In fact, I think it may be a sign of growing Christ-likeness, that our heart increasingly breaks with the burdens of other people. There is a weight and a burden of serving and of ministry that if you're beginning to see with Jesus' eyes over time, we'll see the needs in other people's lives more and more. Don't you feel that way? You look around at the heartache and the overwhelming, crushing burdens of people. I know I often look at the task, for example, of sharing the gospel with the world. Scripture says every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And I feel overwhelmed at the sheer size of the task. I look at my unchurched friends and my family who don't yet enjoy relationship with Jesus 
and I feel responsible. I look at the needs of our congregation, the needs of our church budget, our need for more space, more staffing. I see people who aren't growing or aren't being connected well, and I feel like I have to fix these problems. Friends, when we follow Jesus, we will sometimes feel overwhelmed by the burden. Don't let it be a surprise to you. But Jesus, not to be daunted, (laughs) doesn't just throw up his hands, of course. He sees the people, verse 34, he sees the people and he calls them sheep without a shepherd. Verse 34 continues, it says, he had compassion on them. The word for compassion that Mark used here is a very graphic word that means he was moved to the core of his being. It literally means he felt it in his gut. It's the same kind of word that's used throughout the whole New Testament to describe Jesus' compassion for his people. It's the same word to use that, that's used to describe the Samaritan's compassion in Luke 10. It's the same word used to describe the compassion of the waiting father looking for his lost son in Luke 15. It's the kind of word that doesn't just, that doesn't just describe a thought or, or a feeling. It describes something that ushers forth in action. It is feeling so passionately about another's distress that one is moved to alleviate the distress in practical terms. In ministry, we, we, we realize when we're serving and we're in ministry and we're thinking about the needs of others, we realize that we're facing needs also that are beyond our capacity. That's the next section here, the next uh, point in your outline, is that we're facing needs that are beyond our capacity. Let's look at what happens here when the sun goes down in verses 35 to 37 here. Jesus' followers are, are, are finally running on empty. They've spent all their energy and passion on that ministry trip for Jesus. And then when they arrive home, there are more crowds and more commotion. They don't have time to eat. Their R&R is spoiled because of all these crowds. So finally they come to Jesus in verse 35 and they say, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away before the sun goes down. Please, Jesus. The disciples are ready for a break. They're ready for some alone time with just them and just Jesus. If they wait too long, people will start growing faint from dehydration and and hunger. And Jesus' response is telling. He says this, You. You give them something to eat. The disciples are sitting there saying, it's not our problem. They're the ones who crashed our party. They're the ones who didn't think to pack a lunch. To which Jesus says, no, no, no. You, you meet that need. You can tell the disciples are frustrated. 
They look at the people and they say this in verse 37. It would take eight months of a person's wages to feed these people. At this point, we realize that Jesus is intentionally bringing the disciples into the situation, knowing full well that they would be in over their heads. A situation where what they had seemed insignificant compared to the need that they faced. There's a motto that's common among lots of Christians that says that that God will never give us more than we can handle. There's, of course, a certain amount of truth in that. But this story reminds us that what we think we can handle and what God thinks we can handle might be two different things. God brings us into situations where he calls us to meet needs that are far beyond what we think we can handle. A lot of people feel this way about their giving to the church, for example. Our congregation's budget has grown a lot over the last couple of years. And we are working to take a huge step in faith to increase our budget by somewhere around 12-ish percent to hire a new staff member in music and worship. When my wife, Dagny, and I, we, when we regularly revisit our giving to the church, it's easy to become intimidated by the need. Because compared to our church's budget and the needs out there, I begin to feel like our monthly contribution seems really small. Almost insignificant. But when we face an overwhelming need that is beyond our capacity, Jesus is always there to provide the way. Oh, he says, you meet the need. And even though we're feeling sometimes like we're trying to empty the ocean with a teaspoon with our time and our resources and and our gifts and our abilities, Jesus comes along and provides a miracle of what we're going to call multiplication. The miracle of multiplication. Look at what happens next here in these verses. Jesus could have simply made bread materialize out of nothing. This is an important point. He could have instantly set a feast before them with all of the fixings, but he doesn't. Instead, he asks his followers to find out what they have. And they come up with five loaves of bread and two puny little sardines. Not even enough for half a dozen fish sandwiches. So Jesus, he takes what the disciples have already. He thanks God for it, breaks the loaves, and get this, he gives it back to his followers with instructions to distribute it among the people. 
And as they hand out the bread, miraculously, everyone eats until they're satisfied. And when they're done, there are more leftovers than there were loaves and fish at the beginning. Twelve baskets full as a representation, not just that these disciples, but that we, as the body of Christ, have a responsibility to carry on the miraculous work of distribution to needy people. Our baskets are still full. And we meet here the final principle. When we follow Jesus, God will multiply what we give him far beyond our expectations in order to meet others' needs. Friends, this isn't health wealth. This isn't name it and claim it. This isn't just gab and grab. We're not talking about you give us $100 and you will receive 1000 That has no place in the kingdom of God, friends. The miracle is that God takes our time and our money and our resources, everything that we already have as the people with 12 baskets full, and makes them work in a way to meet the needs of others. It's an incredibly high calling. Notice the sequence. The disciples are overwhelmed by a need that Jesus tells them to meet. So they give Jesus what little they have. He consecrates what they give him and gives it back with instructions to use what he's given them to serve others. This is a paradigm shift for our lives that if you haven't yet experienced, you really need to. Because that John 10.10 abundant life that he offers takes shape when we use our lives in this way. It's as if, as if everything that we have, that we call our own, is actually stamped with the phrase, property of Jesus entrusted to Scott. This paradigm shift changes everything with how we view our lives. It changes our giving to the church, our time commitment to serving it changes the way that I view the homeless person on the street, the way that I view the kid in my class, in my son's or daughter's class whose parents can't afford a coat in the winter. It changes the way I think about my car, my home, my groceries, my clothes. And the great thing about being a growing believer is that we experience this thing where Jesus takes what we've given back to use it for far-reaching effects beyond what we could imagine. There was a little girl who was named Hattie Mae Wyatt. Many years ago, Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia had to turn away Hattie Mae from their children's ministry because they just had too many kids and they had no space for this little girl and they were overcrowded. So that day... This little girl, Hattie Mae Wyatt, started to save her pennies to help that church make more room for their children's ministry. Two years later, that little girl tragically died. In her pocketbook, next to her bed, Hattie Mae's parents 
found 57 pennies and a piece of paper with a note saying that that money was to help the church build a bigger children's ministry. At Hattie May's funeral, her mother gave that 57 cents and that note to the pastor of Grace Baptist Church. That Sunday, the pastor shared the story of this girl with his congregation and people's hearts were touched and a realtor gave the church a piece of land to expand the children's ministry and asked for 57 cents as a down payment. A local newspaper carried the story and and soon the news about Hattie May's gift spread across the whole country. The pennies from Hattie May grew far beyond her 57 cents. Grace Baptist not only built a new children's ministry wing, but a new ministry center that today seats over 3,000. Out of that movement of generosity from that little girl, Temple University was built. Good Samaritan Hospital in Philadelphia was built. You can visit Temple University today and find a picture on the wall of little Hattie Mae Wyatt, a girl whose 57 pennies were used by God far beyond the limits of her little life. Friends, God can take whatever we give him, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant it seems, no matter how burdensome the weight feels, and continue to multiply it and use it in ways that are far beyond our expectations, friends. Are you running on empty? Do you feel overwhelmed with people's needs? People's needs that are far beyond your capacity to meet Do you hear Jesus saying, you feed them, and you feel overwhelmed? Friends, please know that the same Jesus who met the needs of taking care of infinite sin that we can't even begin to describe in our lives is that same Jesus who can take whatever we give to him and use it for the sake of helping people. Let us never forget that. We're going to sing in just a second here. If you're interested in joining us as an immersed believer in Christ and you're looking for a church home and you would like to place membership with us, we'd ask that you'd come forward. And if you've not yet named Jesus as Lord publicly and would like to do that, represented in the waters of baptism, then as we stand to sing here, we ask that you would come forward as we do that and invite you forward as we also prepare to come around the Lord's table.